Hello, everyone. Welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. Actually, it's the 2021st edition. We've been away for a little bit. We're glad to be back. We're glad everyone's joining us today. So if you're coming in, um, you want to make sure you come in using the, the uh, app, the Zoom app, or on the Facebook page. We'll talk about that in a minute. So let me first bring in our panel. My panel is I'm Drew, your host. Uh, Scott is our program director. Scott, how you doing? I'm doing all right. And it's snowing down here in Gettysburg. So that's, that's what I heard. I haven't gotten it up here yet in the northeast part of Pennsylvania. Jonathan, you're down here in uh, Gettysburg as well. How you doing? Is it snowing by you too? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's coming down a lot more than they had expected. So snow yeah. is on the way. Winter is here. Winter is here. And Jeff Smeltzer in Exton, Pennsylvania. Hi, Jeff. In Exton. And if winter's here, maybe that means the sooner we get it, the sooner we'll be done with it. Let's do that. I agree. I agree. Glad to have everybody with us today. Um, if you're coming in, like I said, on the Zoom app, uh, use the Q&A box that's in that little frame somewhere around your video area and click up the Q&A box, ask us questions. There's also a chat one there. We'll watch both the chat box or the Q&A. And we're also coming in on, I believe it's Scott's Facebook page, right, Jonathan? I think we're going live on the Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, on Scott's Facebook page. Okay, so we'll be monitoring that Facebook page of all of you coming in on that one. Just hit the comment box and uh, put in your comments, comments about anything we're talking about, or if you have other questions as well. Well, today we're going to be looking at a particular letter that Paul had written. And rather than me going any further, Scott, why don't you uh, introduce us to the, what we're talking about? All right. Uh, I'm going to read the first two verses and then ask you all to discuss a little bit of who, when, where, uh, as to authorship, recipients, et cetera. We won't spend a long, long time on that, but it's helpful and interesting to get that established first. Are you going to say that before you tell us the book? Oh, oh. Colossians. Okay, because I didn't say I didn't say the letter. I thought maybe it was going to be a test for us. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Surprise. Colossians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, through the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ that are at Colossae, grace to you in peace from God our Father. So let's get a little bit of background of the time and setting of the book. Go ahead. Well, um, oops, I'm going to share a screen if I can. Oh, you know what? I didn't stop coming up. Somebody tell us where Paul is, in what condition is Paul, and likely what location. I think he's in prison. Paul is a prisoner. Yeah. He's a prisoner, and we know that uh, from the text, and uh, it likely, I would say, it's Rome. Sometimes people think that maybe uh, Caesarea might be the site for some of the prison epistles. I suspect, for reasons I won't get into now, that we're talking about Roman imprisonment. All right. So, Jeff, go ahead and show us what you got here, please. Well, these are passages in Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, three letters Paul writes, in which he identifies himself as a prisoner or mentions his imprisonment or mentions Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, um, or uh, in Philemon Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So there's the suggestion then that all of these letters are written while Paul is a prisoner. I, I think you're probably right. 
um, that it's when he is in Rome. Um, Philippians also, he mentions his imprisonment, but it seems that Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon are all written at about the same time, and there are several things that point to that, right? Right. Paul's messenger is Tychicus. Both in Colossians and Philemon, it mentions, uh, both in Ephesians and Colossians, it mentions Tychicus. Uh, in Ephesians 6.21 and Colossians 4.7. Uh, and let's go through this passage, because this is interesting here, the similarities. You also may know about my circumstances. That's what he says in Ephesians 6.21, that you may know about my circumstances. I'm going to send Tychicus to you. And what does he say in Colossians 4.8? Same thing, that you may know about our circumstances. Uh, and, wait, and, wait, wait, wait. There's a difference of a word there. My, there's an hour. Yes, there's an hour. There are people with Paul. But notice that what he's done that they may know about our circumstances, I have sent him, whom? Tychicus. So Tychicus is the messenger in both cases to tell the recipients of these two letters about his circumstances. Well, what are his circumstances? Well, that he's a prisoner. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. Notice that's just the same thing here in Colossians 4.7. And then I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances so that you may know about us and he may comfort your hearts, that you may know about our circumstances and he may encourage your hearts. So it sure sounds like Ephesians and Colossians are companion letters, right. both carried by Tychicus, right? Right. Yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, if we look at the geography a little bit, Paul's over here in Rome and the expected route of travel from Rome to the regions where Colossae were and other cities, including Ephesus, you'd travel along the Via Appia or Appia, I'm not sure how you say that. From there, you'd catch a boat over to the Ignatian Way, and you would travel across the Ignatian Way to Thessalonica, and then it was typical for travelers from Italy heading to Asia to then catch a boat from Thessalonica and sail to Ephesus. So if we zoom in on this area right here, You've got the Meander River flowing down to the Aegean Sea, and you have the, the Meander River meander along. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually where we get our word meander. Oh, nice! Uh, it's from this river, and it's section in here. It just goes, you know, if you zoomed in, it would be back and forth like this, um, like a snake. And then the Lycus River uh, flows into the Meander here, not far from Hierapolis in Laodicea, and Colossae, it's about 12 miles from Laodicea to Colossae, about 100 miles from Colossae over to Ephesus. So a, a traveler like Tychicus could come to Ephesus, and then he could hit Magnesia and Trollus, where there were churches in the second century, we know, and so perhaps they were established already in the first century, and he could drop off copies of, his, of these communications and then travel on to Colossae. So we compare these passages here, and we see Donesimus mentioned in Colossians, who's not mentioned in Ephesians. Uh, verse 9 of Colossians 4, verse 9. With him, with Tychicus, one Onesimus. So where else is Onesimus mentioned in the Bible? Let's throw it out to our audience, see if somebody can give us a real quick answer here. Uh, where else do we read about Onesimus, and how does this tie in? Yeah. 
So what we've got so far here is Tychicus is carrying a letter that we know as Ephesians and carrying this letter to the Colossians and uh, probably same trip carrying these letters and uh, very similar language in the two letters. But traveling with him, we find mentioned in Colossians, not in Ephesians, not mentioned in Ephesians, is this Onesimus. Did we get anybody popping in with an answer there? Uh, can I give a not hint? Yet. Yeah, uh, give a hint. Yeah, but there's a delay on Facebook. So. Uh, I'll give, I a will give a hint, Drew. New Testament letter? That's a good, that's <laughs> a good hint. <laughs> Let's go with that. Probably, hint. It's in the Bible. I'm getting broader. Yeah, it's more uh, general. Let's go the other way. Well, I Paul, Paul wrote somebody as an individual, and he includes that person's name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. He didn't write that letter to a church. He wrote that to an individual, and he mentions, well, Onesimus wasn't he a slave? Yes, he was. Whose slave was he? Philemon's. Yeah. So if we look at Philemon, uh, we see Onesimus mentioned. And notice that Paul says, whom I've begotten in my imprisonment, I've sent him back to you in person. Um, So here you have uh, Paul's companions that are mentioned in Philemon and Colossians besides Onesimus. You have uh, Epaphras, you have Mark, you have Aristarchus, uh, you have Demas, and you have Luke. Uh, boy, that's kind of interesting that both in Philemon and Colossians, you have all the same people mentioned. It's like Philemon knew the same people that the Colossians knew, right? Did, did Paul write this letter at the same time as Ephesians? Well, it sure seems like it. In right. Colossians 4, 7, it says, Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. That language, take heed to your ministry and fulfill it. There's somebody else, Paul says that kind of thing too. Hmm. Timothy. What was Timothy? Uh, He's an evangelist. He's a man of God, a preacher of the gospel. Sounds like Archippus is, doesn't it? Hmm. Well, Hmm. in the Philemon letter, a letter just written to an individual, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphi, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So when Paul writes to to Philemon, an individual, he mentions this preacher, Archippus, who seems to be associated with the church at Colossae. And when he writes to Philemon, he also mentions the church meeting in your house. What does that sound like? Sounds like the Colossian church met in Philemon's house, who was one of the Colossians, as was now Onesimus. Yeah, here's Philemon's house. I don't know if you guys know what it looks like, but that's that's Philemon's house right there. <laughs> I always thought the window was on the other side of the door, so I'm I'm glad you explained that. Well, this is from the this is a view from the other angle. <laughs> now this this is just a an artistic rep- or a non-artistic representation. And the Colossians uh, apparently are meeting in the home of of Philemon. So what do we have? We have Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, all apparently written at the same time, all carried by Tychicus. And Colossians mentions that Onesimus is traveling with Tychicus, and Philemon mentions that Onesimus is being returned to Philemon. And so that gives us some idea about the circumstances under which Colossians was written. There's a lot more we could go into here, but maybe that's enough to get us started.
Excellent. As, as an aside, a lot of times when we hear the word church in our world today, we think of these great stone structures, but most of the people they were meeting in homes, right? Individual homes or maybe separate rooms someplace. Yeah, here's the church right here. <laughs> they're the church, whether they're in this house or whether they decide to meet someplace else. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is the right. church here. I like the word assembly, which is what Ecclesia means. It's an assembly, yeah. a group of human beings come together for a purpose, and they're doing it in that house. Right, 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 right. And let's just touch on this, and then we'll get into our next set of verses. Uh, so previously, a fellow who had perhaps planted the work there in Colossae, or, or had been effective in that, was Epaphras. We're going to read about him in a minute. But for by and large, do most of the Colossians and most of the Laodiceans, are these going to be people that Paul converted individually? Now we have that with the case of Onesimus, what had occurred apparently in Rome. But for the most part, is this a group of people that Paul knows by face and they know Paul by face, other than these few exceptions? I don't think so. No, no. and you find that out in chapter 2 and verse 1, where he says that he's struggling for, for them and the Laodiceans and for all who have not seen him face to face. So the Colossians, Laodiceans, and apparently others had not actually met Paul, um, which, which makes it a really interesting letter because you've got a guy who's in prison in Rome writing to a group of Christians where he, he seems to know Philemon when you read Philemon personally, but has not seen most of these other Christians face to face. And so it makes for an interesting letter. In the language four, back in, go ahead, Drew. I was going to say in verse four, he talks about since we heard of your faith, I get an impression that he's not that familiar with their faith, but he's heard of it. Yeah. Similarly back in verse uh, nine, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard, do not cease to pray and make, request for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And it seemed like there was some language earlier also in chapter one. Uh, yes. Who has also declared unto us your love in the spirit in verse eight. Uh, he had heard it from Epaphras. So he didn't know these saints and faithful. It seems that Epaphras was maybe the man who had had the close contact, the work had worked with the brethren in Colossae and, and now Paul learns of their faith from him. And so uh, one more note just on introduction, and then we'll get into the first section of text there. Colossians is, there are some specific things in there, like about the Gnostics, but in some ways Colossians seems kind of like a, a, a meeting sermon. In other words, you've got Galatians, which is very, very specific, reacting to specific problems in Galatia that Paul, who notes the Galatians, is having to address Corinthians, very, very specific problems in Corinth, which Paul had established, et cetera, et cetera. But like with Colossians, you've got these big, broad themes that everybody needs. And so let's go ahead and get into you know, that. You know, just, just if I could interject something here, your description there, I would say is even more apropos for Ephesians yeah. And that if you compare Ephesians and Colossians, they're very similar letters, but the, the most pronounced difference is... Specificity. Yeah, is the specificity. Uh, when yeah. in Ephesians, Paul talks about being carried away with uh, different winds of doctrine and so on. When you get in Colossians, he goes into some detail about a particular doctrinal problem in Colossians. 
he's he's aware of some specific diagnostic issues there, Rock. Drew. I have a question. Uh, a few minutes before we started today, a uh, little tongue in cheek, but I mentioned how he's mentioning saints and faithful brethren. In my previous life and growing in a denominational world, I always thought saints were just spiritual people that were ordained to special sainthood, but we know they're not. Um, but have you ever heard that when, when he identifies that, and it just popped in my head because I remember someone saying, mentioned this, saints could be referring to the Jewish Christians and faithful brethren to, brethren to the Gentile Christians. Did you ever hear that? I'm not saying that's what he's doing here, but I, have you never heard of that? Well, okay. So look at Ephesians chapter 3 real quickly. Um, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, for this cause. Now, you have, to, you have to get this point. You have to understand what I'm not going to take time to establish. Ephesians is written to Gentile Christians. And he's gone to great lengths to say that they are just as much part of the kingdom of God, the house of God, uh, the body of Christ, as, as the Jewish Christians who preceded them. But in verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father. This is chapter 3, verse 15 now from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that every family, not just the Jewish family, but including Gentiles, that he would grant you, you Gentiles, according to the riches of his glory, that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inward man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, to the end that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be strong to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and so on. With all the saints here, in the context of Ephesians, would be a reference to all those who are already saints, which would be the Jews. And, and yet, by implication, he's saying you are now saints with them. So I wouldn't say saints is exclusively of Jews, but here's a place where he uses saints to uh, classify these Gentile recipients of Ephesians with the rest of God's people. Yep. And in, in 1 Corinthians which we know from Acts is primarily a Gentile church. Um, it talks about uh, to those in Corinth called to be saints. And in Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, the, the recipients of this letter who are Gentiles are called saints that are, and then of course, most of our Bibles say that are at Ephesus. All right. Colossians chapter one, Jonathan, could you read three through eight for us? And then three through eight. Colossians 1, 3-8, we, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth just as you have learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. All right, comments on anything in that section? Well, so there again, we get the, the information that, uh, which will be expounded on in chapter two, but it wasn't Paul who came to these Christians and taught them like most of the letters that he wrote, um, which he'll reference very often. He'll, like to the Corinthians, he says, whenever I was with you, you know, I taught you this or imitate me, uh, what you've seen and heard in me in Philippians, imitate those things. But here he doesn't say that. He says what you've learned from, from Epaphras or Epaphras. 
um, who will come up again at the end of the book, who is apparently with Paul at the writing of this letter. All right. So let's pick up now and somebody read 9 through 18, and then we'll go back and discuss whatever you want to discuss. I, I got that. For this reason, also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously, joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, there's that word again, in light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, and in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have his first place in everything. Man, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, so anybody start wherever you want, anywhere in that text. One of my favorite verses in this passage is that he has transformed us. He, he took us out of the domain of darkness, transformed, the, transferred us rather to the kingdom. That's in yep. the present tense. Yeah. So I've been talking with people that look for the kingdom to come in the future. Right. Some people pray that the Lord's prayer in, in certain religions as the kingdom to come in the future. But this, this is telling us the kingdom is here we're in it they were in the kingdom then yeah i think it's also really notable uh, when you just consider like we spent some talking about the the background to colossians uh paul is writing largely to a group of people that he doesn't know before and the amount of times that um prayer will come up and how paul is praying for them and it's really intense prayer um that he has it shows up here in chapter one it shows up in chapter two and verse one the, the struggle that he's having for for the Colossians and Laodiceans. But I like the prayer that he says that he's praying for them in verse nine. It says, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the purpose behind that is so that in verse 10, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And, and so it's just really cool. It kind of gives a, a brief outline of what Christians are supposed to do. You receive the truth, you receive the knowledge of God, you're, you're transferred into the kingdom. And then Paul says, and what he's praying that they'll continue to do is keep growing in their knowledge, growing in their understanding, growing and being fruitful and bearing good works uh, and being pleasing to God. Uh, wait, so wait, I really wait. like that verse nine and 10 in chapter one. Jonathan, are you saying that increasing in knowledge is not automatic, that the Holy Spirit is not building you up on uh, w without you doing anything? You, you, you're saying you have to increase in knowledge on your own? Well, there's uh, a significant amount of knowledge that the Colossians already have outside of the, the worldly knowledge that uh, a lot of philosophy and things like that, which Paul will bring up in chapter two, uh, not being carried away by different human philosophies and traditions, um, but seeing the wisdom that's in Christ and in that message. So there's an initial knowledge that you get, but there's a continued knowledge that's gained by Christians in 
and reading God's word and understanding his, his, his will and his character and things like that. And I think that's what Paul is praying for here. Mm -hmm. This continued growth, which is a theme all throughout the Bible in different epistles to -hmm. continue growing. Exactly. Let's look at the descriptions of Jesus starting in verse 14. Um, In whom we have our redemption. He's our redeemer. The forgiveness of our sins. He's our savior is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation in him were all things created in heavens and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Same phrases used in Ephesians where it says the things that we're fighting against. Uh, all things have been created through him and un- unto him. Before he is before all things and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body. Any discussion on any of that? Um the idea of his being the uh, image of the invisible God is, it just immediately reminds me of the argument being made in John one, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. If we want to see the invisible God, we we see Jesus Uh, over in John 14, Philip says, show us the father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Is any of that any of that characteristics of who the Father is as we see Jesus? Does that have any play in the beginning when he created man in his image? Uh, elaborate. I'm not sure what your point is there. I'm not, I'm not sure much as the point is that I find it interesting that he, we're created in his image. Oh, okay. But we're not physically created in his image. Well, like, that's a good Jesus point. came in the flesh. And we can see the image, the invisible God doesn't mean I look at Jesus, I see hands and feet. So it's something beyond the physical, but there's a connection here. I'm, I'm creating his image, but maybe I corrupted that image. But now we can look at Jesus, which is the perfect image. I, I think you've got a point there. When, when John 1.18 talks about uh, no man's seen God at any time, but the son has declared him, he, is, he, he's told us what God is does mean he's told us God has 10 fingers and two nostrils and so on like that. And when John says, or when Philip says in John 14, show us the father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I think we read that. And we understand Jesus is not saying that the father looks just like I look right now. Jesus had taken up a, on himself a form that was not intrinsic to him. He had taken human form. It's not the human form that is the father. Uh, and so then I think your point is when we are created in the image of God, we don't infer from that that God looks like us. Then we'd have to say, well, which one of us? Does he look like Scott or does he look like Drew or does he look like Jonathan or does he look like me? It's not even that he has two eyes and two nostrils and however many teeth we have and so on. It's, 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 the, it's the spiritual image, I guess you could say. And to underscore that, we might remember Jesus' physical appearance. What does Isaiah 53 say about Jesus' physical appearance? Yeah. Yeah, not someone that comely. Yeah, something we're not going to really be attracted to. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. So at best, he was an average-looking human, if not less so. Uh, But so these pictures of him going around with a halo, or looking different than everybody else, that it wasn't the physical appearance. 
that that shows us God. All right. How far did we read through here? What verse do we read up to? Uh, I believe we read through 18. But let's get this phrase right after that in verse 15. He's the firstborn uh, of all creation. Let's talk a little bit about that if we could. All right. Now, and I'd like an answer here on this. I'm going to present the Jehovah's Witness argument. Mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witness argument is that he is part of creation. God created a bunch of things, and he's just like Jeff in our family growing up. There was mom and dad, and then they had you, then they had me, and you're the firstborn. Yeah. Uh, And so the Jehovah's Witness would say uh, Jesus was made before some other angels and stuff. They claim he's actually Michael the archangel, which is kind of strange. Uh, That's their interpretation. What would you respond to that? Well, well, here, so, sorry, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, no, go ahead, Jonathan. Well, uh, I was just gonna say, right, right here, uh, it goes on to say that that Jesus was the the being that created all things. He's the one that all things were created for and through, and he's the one all things hold together um, through. Uh, I suppose you could still maybe make the argument that he was, well, he was the first creation, and then he created everything after that, um, based on that argument. But over in John chapter one. Um, and uh, almost kind of parallel idea, parallel passage in John 1, where it's talking about this creation and the and Jesus and uh, the process of that in John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then you go down to verse 14 and find out who is the Word. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, he was not created by God. He, he was with God. He was God in the beginning and then created all things through him. So, so then we're, we're, we're left with, well, why does it call Jesus the firstborn then? And what, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And of course, originally and fundamentally, the idea of firstborn is born first. The firstborn child of Jacob was uh, Reuben. The firstborn of Isaac was Esau and, and so on. But, but because the firstborn son, or presumably it's for this reason, because the firstborn son had special privileges, then the term comes to, to be used in the sense of preeminent. And you see that illustrated in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22. Uh, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Let's talk about Israel both as a nation and as a man. As a nation, was Israel the first nation? You could say, well, it's the first nation God chose and so on. But God's over all nations. Right. As a, as a man, the man Israel, who was Jacob, that the Israel's the other name for Jacob, was he the firstborn son? No. He was the secondborn to his father Isaac. Was he the firstborn son of, of God? No. In, in Psalm 89, well, so what does it mean? Well, it's talking about Israel is the, the preeminent nation that God is specially privileging. Um, in Psalm 89, verse 27, in a passage where it's talking about David, starting in verse 20, I found David my servant. Um, verse 27 says, I shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Several things about this. It's, I will make him. It's not that when he was born, he was born first. He wasn't. He was the, the youngest or next to youngest son of Jesse, depending on which text you look at. And uh, 
Furthermore, he says, I will make him. So he's already been born, but God's going to make him the firstborn. And then, then the next phrase explains what that means, the highest of the kings of the earth. So the idea of being firstborn is to be preeminent, is to be exalted. Um, and sure, it's derived from the idea of being born first, but it's used in a number of contexts where it's not talking about somebody who was born first. Could that have any uh, firstborn uh, connection to the fact that he was the first to be raised from the dead? Well, it mentions that in verse 18 of Colossians 1. Mm -hmm. He is mm -hmm. the firstborn from the dead, mm -hmm. that in everything he might be preeminent. So there's that there's, idea that Jack was exactly up what, again. Yeah, there's the preeminence right there. And, and in uh, Romans 8, uh, is it Romans 8? Talks about him being the firstborn of many brethren. And he, even in firstborn from the dead, he's not the first to be raised from the dead. Uh, somebody will say, well, he's the first to be raised and to stay raised. Okay. Mm -hmm. But he's not the first to be raised. But what he is, is he is the chief. He is the preeminent mm -hmm. among them. Right. Uh, let me run through something just real, real quickly here, just on this Jehovah's Witness idea that Jesus is an angel. Because uh, when you get to the book of Revelation, angels aren't to be worshipped and Father is worshipped and Jesus is worshipped. So running through real quickly, uh, in Matthew 4, Satan asked for worship, and in response, Jesus says what? Yeah, he says, um, thou, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shall you serve. So don't worship Satan, worship God. God. Mm -hmm. uh, in uh, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius bows down before Peter, who mm -hmm. is a human, and Peter says, See thou do it not, I myself am a man, worship God. Yeah. And uh, you've got in Romans chapter 1, the pagans had exchanged the truth of God for a lie and were worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. 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 So don't worship Satan, worship God. Don't worship man, worship God. Don't worship animals, worship God. And in a Revelation two times, John bows down before the angel, and the angel is going to say, I'm a fellow servant. Worship God. And in Revelation 4, we see worship before the Father. And in Revelation 5, we see worship of the Lamb. Yeah. Yeah, and that idea even shows up here in Colossians, which apparently there were some teachers or ideas of that were infiltrating the Colossian church to worship angels. So mm -hmm. not trying oh, yeah. to get too far ahead, but in Colossians two in verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism or, and worship of angels and going on in detail about vision. So he says, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't worship angels. Don't do these other practices and things, but he's making it pretty clear here at the beginning that Jesus is, he's the one that is, has all preeminence. He's the one that, that created everything. He's kind of the glue that holds everything together. He's the one to be worshipped and to follow after. In uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, speaking of the firstborn and angels in the same sentence, it says, uh, same context. And when he, again, referring to Jesus, uh, God brings the firstborn into the world, referring to Jesus, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. So all the angels are to worship yeah, yeah. him. He's not an angel, as uh, what would you say, Jehovah's Witnesses treat him as an angel? Yes. All right, very, very good. All right, let's get back to our text now. Colossians 1, I'm going to back up and do verse 18 again, and then read through verse 23. So he, that is Jesus, is the head 
of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There's our firstborn again, this one from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it was the good pleasure of the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell, and through him to reconcile all things unto himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things upon the earth or things in heavens. And you, being in time past, alienated and enemies in your mind, in your evil works. Yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and without blemish and unreprovable before him. If so be that you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which is preached in all creation under heaven, whereof I, Paul, was made a minister. Go ahead. He's speaking to saved Christ Christians who are saved. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And he says something to the effect, if indeed you continue. Yeah. I've heard it say that there's no such thing as having any conditions on any of this stuff, that once you're saved, you're saved. There's no, ifs. there's no ifs. What's that? That's not at all what Paul is teaching. At there's all. The obligation, there's the obligation of the disciple to walk worthily of what he's been called to, chapter 1, verse 10. And if we continue in it, uh, what, what good does it do to put faith in Christ and turn towards him and then turn away from him? Mm -mm. No good. Oh, we mentioned earlier that Paul is going to eventually, here in Colossians, he's going to get around to dealing with a specific uh, error that was being promoted in Colossae. And it's an error that includes uh, some speculations about supernatural beings. Um, it's an error that includes a fascination with figuring out uh, how this male and female pair of supernatural beings had this offspring and how they were all interrelated and and the whole group of them were referred to in these speculations as the fullness or the pleroma was the word. And he's going to come back to that in chapter two, verse eight, and kind of hit it head on. But it's kind of interesting. He kind of lays some foundation here in chapter one in verse 18 or verse 19, when it says, for it was the good pleasure that in him or the good pleasure of the father that in him, in the Christ should all the, fullness dwell. Uh, so everything that is anything, it's in Christ. And if you think you've got some special knowledge, some idea about some speculations, about some uh, genealogies or some relationships of supernatural beings over here that separates you or that's separate from Christ and all of that, know that you're off base. You're, you're out there in left field and you've missed it. Every, all the fullness is in Christ. Think how often that plays into Paul's epistles, where he's getting people to realize when they're focused in the wrong direction, no, no, you need to be focused in Christ. Yeah. Galatians, you've got Gentiles who become Christians, and now they've been diverted into thinking that they need to be circumcised and become Jewish. And he says, no, you were already where you were supposed to be when you were in Christ, and you right. need to get back there. Uh, in Colossians, when they're divided up into, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, and their local leader, unnamed leaders there that they're making their allegiances after and their philosophy. He says, no, you need to be in Christ. Yeah. In Romans, 
where the, the Jewish mindset of some focusing on the law and stuff, no, it's in Christ. And here, with the temptation to be that, oh, there's these secrets and these mysteries and this fullness over here in Gnosticism. No, no, no. That stuff is in in first corinthians i'm a paul i'm a Paulus, i'm of cephas no no there's no foundation that can be laid other than christ yeah very good all right um any other comments on this section before we go into the next i guess you can't really emphasize it strong enough that jesus christ is the center of the universe how far how far did we read down scott through 23 23 okay so 23 there's couple of things right here in verse 23 if so be that you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached in all creation under heaven if we remember back in matthew chapter 24 jesus had said in matthew chapter 24 and verse uh, let's see verse 14 this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all the nations, and then shall the end come. And the end that he's talking about there is the destruction of Jerusalem, which is in A.D. 70. And he says this gospel's got to be preached in all nations before that happens. Well, Colossians is apparently written in the very early 60s, or most of a decade before the destruction of Jerusalem. And by that time, Paul can say, this gospel which was preached in all creation under heaven. Also, in Matthew 28, when, when Jesus sends out the apostles after he's been raised from the dead, he's already told them, you've got to preach this in every nation under heaven. Then in uh, Matthew 28, he says, verse 19, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this was the mission to the apostles, and they did this. And you see some indication that it's been accomplished by the time we get to Colossians one twenty three. You could now I don't, when it says all creation under heaven, I don't think that means <clears throat> it's not a it's not a it's not a legal terminology. It's not saying every single person on the face of the earth has heard it, but it's been preached everywhere. In whatever sense it could be accommodatively used in Matthew, we see the same right. idea. And then Paul says. Uh, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So the word minister is servant. And it's interesting, Paul speaks of himself not as a, a servant that belongs to a church. We talk about churches having a minister. Um, well, Paul was a minister of the gospel. He was yeah. a servant of the gospel. And so he was serving the gospel. Think of a server in a restaurant who's serving up your food. Paul was serving up the gospel. Yes, very good. Very good. Um. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and fill up on my part that which was lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I was made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which was given me to you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid for the ages and generations, but now it has been made known to his saints, to whom God was pleased to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, 
that we may present every man perfect in Christ, whereunto I labor also, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Boy, I tell you what, if we didn't have just a minute and a half, there's some things I'd like to talk about here. But we just have a minute and a half. So the thing that I'm going to focus on is in verse 25, where we get some language that kind of throws us. Whereof I was made a minister according to the dispensation of God. And we go, wait a minute, what's, what's a dispensation? And then we think about the dispensations of Bible time and so on. Think of dispense. When you dispense things, you hand them out. You distribute them. Um, Paul was made a minister according to the dispensation the responsibility for handing out the stewardship uh, of the gospel that God had given to Paul. Paul is a messenger to the Gentiles. He has the responsibility of dispensing the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's what he's talking about here. Yeah, my translation says stewardship, and that's what you're talking about, dispensation. Yeah, sure. Yeah. A steward in a, in a large house, he's responsible for dispensing all the goods to everybody in the house. In fact, this word that's translated dispensation or stewardship is the word from which we get economy. And an economy is a system for distributing goods throughout society. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. We just hit the 45 minute mark, but I, I'd like to spend time uh, at another time about the mystery. That is a very interesting concept that he's talking about. And I don't think we can do it now, we'll do it any justice I want to talk about filling up uh, the, of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. Well, there's a lot that we should be talking about. Very, very. Let me, just, let me just say in closing a word to our audience. So we were off uh, webcasting for a couple of weeks with the holidays. We're back. And it may be that having missed a couple of weeks, we had a smaller audience know uh, today. I'm not sure. But if you'd like to hear some more, if you'd like us to continue with Colossians uh, next week, let us know that. If you have some other questions for us, uh, please let us know and let's hear from you. Yeah, we want to hear from everybody. Give us uh, your comments. Well, since we're closing out, just go to BibleQuest.tv. There's a form on that page. You can ask questions there. If you're listening to us on the, on the recorded podcast, which will be up within 24 hours, go to, the, uh, go to BibleQuest.tv and let us know what you want us to talk about and study and subjects you want to hear. Guys, I want to thank you for, for joining in today. It was great to see you, see you again after a couple of weeks off. And good to see you. See you. I like, look forward to seeing you next week. Good to be with you.